0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, I have a guest today who will be no stranger if you've been listening to the Beeson Podcast over the past couple of years, Will Willimon. He was Bishop of of the North Alabama United Methodist Conference here for several years. He's gone back to Duke whence he came, and now he serves as professor of the practice of Christian ministry at Duke Divinity School, and for the past year has also been the pastor of Duke Memorial United Methodist Church in downtown Durham. Will, welcome back to the Beeson Podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Timothy. It's great to be invited back.
0: Now, our main focus today, we could talk about a million things, and we have, and we will again, but today I want to focus our conversation on the new release of Resident Aliens. Now, you've written, I think, over 60 books. Of all the books you've written, this one written with your colleague and friend, Stanley Harawas, is probably the book for which you are best known, and I'm delighted to see it back in print again. It had an impact on me when it first came out, along with millions of other people, and so uh, that's what we want to talk about. And you begin uh, talking in this book about how it arose originally. I think that'll be interesting for people to to know about. And you make a distinction there between it just sort of seemed to happen by luck, but then you qualify that quickly and say, for Christians, luck <laughs> has a different name, Providence. Say a little bit about the origin of resident aliens.
1: Well, um, Stanley and I arrived at Duke about the same week, uh, and uh, in 1984. And um, I had known Stanley through his writing, and in fact, when I was pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, Stanley called me uh, one afternoon and told me that he had been studying my book in his Sunday school class or at Methodist church up in. Uh, uh, Indiana, he was at Notre Dame at the time. So anyway, we became uh, uh, great friends, and um, at one point I remember saying to Stanley, you know, I've noticed that I get my best, most positive response from clergy who are under 30, uh, and my most negative response from clergy over 50, and of course most of the groups I talk to are kind of mainline Protestant types. And Stanley said, uh, "I think there's a definite generational break going on, and um, something has changed." And so we started talking about, "Well, what what has changed in American church life?" And we quickly decided it's not liberal conservative; it, it's really more the church's situatedness in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a shorthand for that, we called it Constantinianism. Mm-hmm. And um, we we. Began a series of conversations, and then that led to led to an article in the Christian Century about how our mood we 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 characterized it as sort of a shifting mood, where the church, having once been established in American culture, and this is sort of a Leslie Newbegin kind of explanation, and we talk about our indebtedness, to Leslie Newbegin, But having once been established in American culture appears to be being disestablished. And the culture is sort of saying, hey, North American Christians, if you want your young to grow up affirming this faith, you'll have to do it on your own. We're not going to give you help in public schools or uh, in uh, free breaks. Uh, You'll have to do it yourselves. And so that That was the changing mood that we tried to talk about in Resident Aliens. And as you say, it really did seem to hit a chord across the spectrum of North American Christianity in a way that uh, we we thought was wonderful and amazing.
0: You also use this uh, story about the movie uh, at – I forget, was it Spartanburg, Greenville?
1: Uh, Greenville. Yeah. Yeah, my hometown.
0: On a Sunday Uh, night. Where there are more
1: Baptists than people. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And – yeah, I, it was funny that that was my illustration, and I've had more people tell me uh, recently in a book on funerals by Tom Long. He mm-hmm. cites that instance. Basically, it was that three or four of us um, made ourselves known at the Sunday evening service at Buncombe Street Methodist Church and the Methodist Youth Fellowship group, and we walked in the front door and were seen by a number of people, and then we slipped out the back door and we joined John Wayne. At the Fox Theater, uh, for a movie in violation of South Carolina's blue laws mm. that were, uh, probably a number of our listeners don't even know what blue laws are, but they kept most things closed in Greenville. And I said on that evening, though I didn't know it at the time, um, the Constantinian arrangement, coziness between American popular democracy and the church, uh, that, that was the last, that was the end of Christendom in Greenville.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, and
1: uh, so
0: so the that, thing the thing is that the church at one time at least thought it could depend upon the yeah. surrounding society to prop it up yeah. to give it some credibility. That if it ever yeah. was true is certainly no longer true now and hasn't been for a while.
1: Right. I just uh, the way I put it is I don't think my parents ever worried about whether I would grow up Christian. It was the only game in town, and you couldn't buy a gallon of gas in Greenville. There was on Sunday. There there was a traffic jam at ten o'clock in Greenville with people going to Sunday school.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, I'm I'm revealing how old I am now, but because many of your listeners, I'm sure, just they we're talking about another world, and and um, I hope in Resident Aliens we presented that not simply as something to be lamented, um, though many aspects of that are lamentable, but. Uh, we did note that, by the way, Greenville was also a segregated society yeah. uh, that racially that we've just described. But, uh, but it's also we we said in Resident Aliens, there's a sense in which the world has restored the adventure of being Christian. That it's it's not that much fun, as old Malcolm Muggridge said, uh, only dead fish swim with the stream. Mm. Uh it is much more invigorating to to sort of with Jesus to swim against the stream and I hope we sort of celebrated that in residence Yeah, Alien.
0: you certainly did. And I think you challenged a new generation to take seriously that aspect of what it means to be church because this is really a book about ecclesiology, I think in its in my reading of it.
1: Well, I will thank you. I I I was sort of slow to get that myself, but um uh, Methodists are often accused of having a limp, inadequate ecclesiology. Uh, and, uh, I think it was therefore kind of unlikely. I mean, but who better than Methodists to notice, uh, uh that we, we didn't have an ecclesiology adequate, uh, for what the world was throwing at us. And, uh, so it is a work of ecclesiology, which I think explains why. We were sort of amazed that so many Episcopalians and Lutherans and a few Catholics uh, seemed to really resonate with the book. Then, as we thought more about it, we thought, "Well, these are groups that generally have a robust ecclesiology, and uh, so it it was a work in ecclesiology—an appeal for the church to be a kind of uh, a countercultural enclave of people who were affirming a faith." That was not n- typical and natural for um, all Americans. So.
0: In in your foreword to this new edition, you say this: "Resident aliens is Christianity made countercultural because this faith is so corporeal." Talk about corporeal.
1: <laughs> it sounds kind of using some big words, but uh, corporeal, bodily, is it. right? The church is uh, the church is the body of Christ, to fall Paul, Paul's favorite metaphor, you know. And um the ch- or the way I put it, the church is the way the risen Christ takes up room in the world. Um, it's sort of frightening when one thinks about churches, and including the one I'm serving now, as uh, the sort of visible presence of Christ in the world, when we think about all of our inadequacies. Um uh, And yet this is uh, his answer to what's wrong with the world is the church. And there is a sense in which back in the—maybe we're not being fair, but uh, sort of a feeling back in the 1950s in Greenville, South Carolina, when you didn't really need the church to be Christian because uh, we had a devotional at the beginning of every school day. Uh, I remember when I was in the sixth grade and Ben-Hur came to town— they marched all the children in the Greenville City Schools into the movie theater to see Ben-Hur. And at the end of the Ben-Hur production, uh, various clergy stood up and said, we'd like to talk to you about becoming a Christian if you haven't become a Christian yet. Well, hey, and I'm not that old either, which makes it even more amazing. But um, the, the there's a new sense in which the, the world has restored the essential of the Church, uh, that being a disciple now is too demanding to make it by home correspondence course or to do it by yourself. You, you really—the Church is now needed uh, to exemplify, to teach, to embody, to form, to inculcate uh, the faith uh, in a way that maybe it wasn't needed 50 years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, th- you you say countercultural, but this is also in a way counter generational. I mean w- when Resident Aliens came out when Resident Aliens came out, I was young. I'm not anymore. And uh lots of people of that age, say twenty five, thirty, millennials, whatever, uh show very little and increasingly less and less interest in anything churchly. They don't go to church. They're spiritual yeah. but not religious. How does resident aliens Speaking to that, whatever it is, that morass.
1: I, I would uh, that that's a good point and one that I think has sort of changed uh, from when Resident Aliens came out to now its reissue. Um, you know, I, I just think we we have to confess that um, we believe in the incarnation; uh, that the Christian faith is a embodied, performed faith. It is not something for. Private individuals in their hearts, but it's something meant to be embodied and lived forth into the world, and and also that we just think there's there's really no way to do that without help from your friends, uh, Christians, and, and also with a, a church that respects discipleship enough to say we're going to equip you for the faith. I remember. Um, Speaking on a Resident Aliens film, uh, a theme out in Oklahoma. I was in a big Methodist church out there, and uh, one of the uh, uh, women was saying uh, in the discussion, said, We just don't, we're not sure your preachers know how tough it is to be a public school teacher these days. And I said, Tell me about it. And they said, Well, we're, I'm talking about a child in my class uh, addicted to heroin. I'm talking about a child in my class that's been abandoned by her parents, both of whom are doctors here in this town, and uh, anyway, they said that they had formed a public school teacher's prayer group that meets at 6 o'clock on Wednesday mornings, where they present a case study from a teacher on why it's difficult to be a teacher and a Christian at the same time. And then they discuss the case study, and then they have prayer, Uh, and then they go out their day, and I said to them, "I predict uh, you're going to hear much more of this in the future church. That uh, again, that that image of Paul talking about the, the 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 work of ministry is for the equipment of Christians. Well, you don't need much equipment if you're basically practicing the faith in a Basically, Christian culture, where being Christian is a normal, natural thing to do, and you sort of become Christian by osmosis. Um, by the way, I've uh, a young man was saying the other day. He said, "I don't know how Baptists explained themselves fifty years ago in America, in in uh, South Carolina." But he said today, it's almost like the world has restored the Baptist vision of being a people who are called out, fresh in each generation that the church is not an established institution for all time, but the church has got, de- got to be dependent on Christ to call it forth. Well, that, that I think, is a kind of a resident aliens-type theme.
0: Yeah, it may be a little too kind to my fellow Baptists, but nonetheless, it's a vision we do articulate.
1: Well, I, we sometimes think Baptists, uh, Southern Baptists in my part of the world, are the closest we ever came to a truly established church in America. Yeah. And I'm afraid a lot of Baptists sort of bought into that, uh, that fantasy.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, now it's fun to see, uh, the sort of, uh, uh, diff, that, that Baptist originating vi- vision. Yeah. Uh, sort of being given interesting credibility by simply the world's resistance, uh, to the vision.
0: Now, Will, you're an unusual person. You, you're you an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church. You've been a bishop here in Alabama in the North Alabama Conference. You love the church. You've given your life to the church. Does resonant aliens speak into the reality of the institutional church, whether Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian? If not, to whom does it speak?
1: Uh, well, there's a, a book review in the Christian Century this week, Um uh, I'd written a uh, chapter in the book. It's a book on Eugene Peterson, you know, who's a very popular mm. writer yeah. and a uh, very eloquent writer. But I'd sort of taken Peterson to task for not having an adequately institutionalized view of the Christian faith and uh, not not much of an ecclesiology. Well, the reviewer said, gosh, this is this is Willimon, the Methodist bureaucratic bishop. <laughs> this is not Willimon, the resident aliens here. <laughs> Uh, and and I can see that. I, I would just say that in a sense, uh, it would take maybe two Methodists in a rapidly declining, once dominant uh, mainline denomination t- to see that uh, we are being divested here. We are being disenfranchised. We are being disestablished. And, um, and that may be good. And, uh, and so I would say that you know, I am uh, I am somebody who has seen it from a number of sides. Uh, but I, I think one thing I enjoyed about being bishop is uh, I remember, I will not mention this church, but I was at uh, talking to a minister, a youth minister in Birmingham at one of our largest, most affluent churches. And I said to him, how many kids do you get out on a Sunday evening? And he said, we get about 50. And I said, How come you don't get a hundred? And he said, Bishop, are you never satisfied with anything? <laughs>
0: yeah, 50 he sounds said, pretty good.
1: hey, did you learn anything when you drove over here to our church this evening? Did you see some of those houses you passed? Mm. Did you see the cars in the church parking lot driven here by our youth? Did you see did you learn anything with that? And I said, no, not particularly. He said, hey, we're in a kind of war here. Mm. It's us against the pagans. And he said, I can't believe we actually rescue 50 teenagers per week out of that kind of environment. Well, that to me is a resident alien sort of observation. And Mm. I think that's, that's amazing to be made by a Methodist youth pastor in a Methodist congregation in Birmingham, Alabama. But... But there is a sense in which uh, now the resident alien's predictions are being lived out in, in some fascinating ways.
0: Yeah. One of the criticisms of the book when it came out, and I guess uh, over the years, has been that you really are not fully engaged in the political, social dimensions of the faith. You're sort of calling for withdrawal, world-hating. Words like that were used. Huh. and i think both yeah. both you mm-hmm. and stanley want to push back against that and do so uh say a little bit about that you you were both students at yale well
1: you know right? um uh that that came as i mean for people to say that we're sectarians, of course you being a baptist don't think that sectarian is necessarily a nasty word no no but yeah <laughs> uh and and by the way uh, i went to yale divinity school so uh, the anabaptist division uh Sectarian vision was completely absent from my theological education. I had to learn about it later from mm-hmm. people like John Howard Yoder and Stanley. But um, you know, one of our responses to it: Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to two tenured professors at Duke University. <laughs> How much more face down in the world do we need to get here? And um, but but I think also uh, you know I'd say that there um, we've been through a period now. Where, you know, when I entered the ministry, one of the things that I would hear about from lay people was, you're too liberal, you're too political, the church ought to stick to saving souls and stay out of politics. I was mm-hmm. active in the civil rights movement and all. Well, uh, a couple of decades later, uh, I get a phone call in Duke Chapel saying, Who's preaching in Duke Chapel this Sunday oh, The <laughs> And the voice said, "Good, I'll come over there." Then I want to, and and I said, "Why is that good?" And said, "I'm a Baptist over here in Raleigh, and I cannot take another political sermon. I Uh. cannot take another political sermon." And I said, "Wow, how old am I?" So there was that interesting move where evangelicals uh, became quote political. Mm In the book, Stanley and I argue that the church is very political, and when we're asked to say something political, we say church. Uh, That The most political thing the church can do is to be a visible, breathing, witnessing community to the world of something that's different from the world. And so, and by the way, I saw something the other day saying that some evangelical churches are really having a problem with the 20-somethings, because... The 20-somethings are in a kind of cynical political mood, and they don't want church to be just another right-wing political commentary place, even more than we liberal mainliners were kind of a left-wing political Mm -hmm. commentary location. So I think Resident Aliens was trying to say, we're political, but the church has got some weird notions of what it means to be political. One of the most controversial things in the book is where we praise Jerry Falwell, for his uh, Save a Baby Homes,
0: mm-hmm. yep. and where
1: Falwell said, uh, you know, our agitation for laws on abortion is hypocritical if we're not willing to put our resources and our time in uh, helping uh, people, make, young women, make tough decisions about birth. And uh, we said that's that's what we're talking about here.
0: Exactly. So. Well, um, I like uh, what I like about your approach. I think this would be true of Stanley too. Is that you are bipartisan in your skating criticism.
1: Uh, (laughs) That's a nice
0: thing to say. That's right. Well, for example, when you were here in Alabama, I I know you sued our governor, Robert Bentley, over immigration issues. Yeah. And you're very critical of Obama, who was elected to get us out of war and has gotten us into more drones and wars than we ever dreamed of. Oh, I'm
1: glad you picked that up. Good. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm... I, I think we sometimes in the Church we've been guilty of thinking it's politics of the right or the left, just like we've been guilty of thinking theologically. And our problem is, are we going to be really conservative, or are we going to be really liberal? Well, Resident Aliens tried to nuance that some to say, no, it, it, in fact, Resident Aliens sort of said, we're all liberals now, in yeah. that we all believe the individual is the most important unit of society, that liberal Constitutional democracy is the only option for gathering human beings together. Uh, and, and and we did kind of equally offend people who thought they were on the right or the left, because we said both in the right and the left they don't uh, notice how odd Jesus Christ is and his vision of what's what. I remember one night in Birmingham, after being at a very difficult forum in a Methodist church on health care with people screaming at each other and thinking, "Why did I ever get into this subject with these people um and And I went home thinking, "Okay, now I'm for universal health care in some form. Most of these people are very threatened by it and are against it. Well, I went home, turned on the t v and there's alabama public radio uh, t v and they were having a discussion of economist health care economist and they were both they were had various visions and they about can we afford universal health care how expensive it's going to be no price controls and one of these maybe godless economists maybe that's a tautology but um one of these economists said i think the main reason is americans don't believe they've got to die mm. that, that and he said w- when Eighty percent of your health care funds are spent in your last year of life. That's not health care. That's immortality fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And I sat there as a minister of the gospel and thought, darn, this mm. economist is telling more truth here on public TV than I've been telling from the pulpit that, hey, the issue for Americans may not be how much health care, how little, too little health care, but the, the issue might be, do you really think you may be immortal and a god Or do you think you are totally dependent upon uh, uh, a God who raises the dead uh, for your ultimate destiny, and good health care is not your ultimate destiny? Anyway, I I think I love the Church when the Church helps us think more deeply than Fox News or CNN or whatever, and we we think more creatively. Yeah, Uh,
0: yeah. You, you you refer – of course, Stanley, I think, was a, a great disciple of John Howard Yoder. Um, I met him once or twice myself. He had a great individual uh, m- mm. impact. But The Politics of Jesus, his famous book, had such an impact. And I see that shadow over resident aliens. Oh,
1: yes. But yes, at, it, you should, yeah. But
0: at the same time, you bring in a book by – Bruce Winter, one of our friends here at Beeson, has talked with us several times, Seek the Uh Welfare of the City, Christians as Benefactors and Citizens, talking about the Roman Empire, in in which there's a little more nuanced, I think, understanding of engagement. uh,
1: There is. And in fact, um, I think I met Bruce Winter through the Beeson podcast.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I listened to you, uh, uh, poorly dressed and sweating on my (laughs) elliptical machine, uh, That makes Betsy smile. We uh, never know if anybody's listening. (laughs) You had a great interview, or he gave a lecture, Bruce. And I immediately went out and got his book on uh, Seek the Welfare of the city. And I think you're right. He does have a more nuanced view. I think in places Stanley and I come across as sort of angry, and I remember Stanley when we were in Ireland at one point, and an Irish person said, you seem to have such a... Negative view of the world and modern culture, and he said, and Stanley said, "Well, maybe when you think of the world, you think of Ireland, and maybe that's okay. When we think of the world, we think of the Pentagon, <laughs> and, and there's, there's there's a bit of a difference there." And I had uh, some wonderful conversations with your dear friend Charles Colson. Oh yes, who who uh said uh, gosh i like so much of resident aliens but you seem to be casting aspersions on political engagement i think christians have a responsibility and and i i said dr colson uh i, I have learned and i i'm a liberal mainline protestant by background but i've learned that that word responsible mm. can be so dangerous because basically we were told you've got to adjust your theology and be responsible citizens and a in order to participate in public debate. Um, you know, and I said, I think we gave away the store in mm. a lot of cases. Yeah. So that when we got into public debate, Christians weren't saying anything more interesting than what you could get from listening to the right or the left. And um so
0: Yeah. Well we're almost out of time, Will, but I, I wanted to ask you, you, you refer to some regrets maybe. How would you do it differently? one of the things you mentioned is maybe a larger dose of pneumatology wouldn't have hurt the first edition. <laughs> Talk about the Holy Spirit, right? The pneumatology.
1: Well, you know, we, we Westlands ought to be big on uh, the Holy Spirit, but I, I think the Holy Spirit is this wonderfully disrupting missional presence. I mean, my my image of the Holy Spirit is the Acts of the Apostles, where you have a poor old church just being dragged kicking and screaming throughout uh, Asia Minor, and uh, uh, talking to people they didn't want to talk to, saving people they didn't really want to get saved. And um, that, that I think, is um, mission. I think mission is not sufficiently dealt with in Resident Aliens. And if I had to do it over again, I think I'd do a better job of saying, we did say that the Church finds itself you in know, in, as missionaries in the world we thought we once owned. Yeah. And uh, Leslie Nibigan and others can show us that's a good place to be, because suddenly you read the Acts of the Apostles, and you think, wow, this feels like our church in Birmingham, and, you know,
0: that's good. Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been our friend Will Willimon, for many years bishop here in Alabama, the United Methodist Church, but now... Back at Duke, he is professor of the practice of Christianity and also a pastor of United Methodist Church in Durham. Will, thank you for giving us this insight into the new edition from Abingdon Press of Resident Aliens. Oh, thank you. God bless you and all you're doing.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Timothy.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George.